Good evening again and welcome. We're glad you're here tonight. I know that we've got some folks that are traveling. My understanding is it is uh, spring break. Didn't realize that until this morning. But uh, we've got some folks that are traveling, probably visiting and enjoying the week. And so we want to keep them in our prayers. But we're grateful that you're here tonight. And thank you for being here. If you're visiting with us, as always, we invite you to come back. Thank you for coming our way. And we would love to have you come and be a part of the work here. We've got a lot of great things going on. We would welcome you into our fellowship. And you can help us to do our best to expand the borders of the kingdom in this community. I do want to say in just a few minutes we're going to be meeting for our focus team meeting. Brother Billy directs that. It is a great opportunity to serve the Lord. We do our best to reach out to those who are sick and suffering, some who are shut in. If you can come tonight and be a part of that, we'd love to have you. It's a great opportunity. Tomorrow night, we also will be meeting Monday night for the Master. Brother James has put that together along with Zach and others, and we appreciate their work. Again, another great opportunity to serve. Some 70-plus people were here last Monday night. We'd love to have you. I do want to say that I've had a couple of reports from those who were visited last week, and they talked about what a great encouragement it was. And I know that Brother Billy on Sunday night when we meet for focus, well, the focus teams when they meet, and uh, we reach out to those who are unable to come as well as this program on Monday night, you would be amazed at what a difference you can make in the lives of people by a card, a letter, uh, a text, a phone call, a visit. It really inspires people. And so I want to encourage you, take part in this. It might be that you can't come every week or every month when we meet. Please, come when you can. We need your help. And uh, the beauty of the church is we all have a part. We all have the opportunity to serve the Lord. And we want to demonstrate a working faith. And so if you can be a part of our work here, we'd love to have you. Tonight we're looking at Joshua chapter 2 as well as Joshua chapter 6. We'll also note chapter 1. And we're going to be talking about the faith of Rahab. Rahab is one of the more unique individuals that we read about in Scripture. Maybe what makes her so unique is that she was by trade identified as a harlot. She was not among the children of Israel, but rather she was of pagan descent, as we might say. You remember back in Genesis chapter 15, after the call of Abraham, God told Abraham that his seed would ultimately dwell in a promised land. And he said, when the iniquity of the Amorites was full, they would be displaced. Well, according to Joshua chapter 1, that time had come for the children of Israel to take possession of the promised land. Moses is dead. And if you were in class this morning, Brother Billy did an outstanding job talking about the background to the work of Joshua. The fact that he was an assistant to Moses. He was mentored by Moses. Moses being the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel. In chapter 34 of the book of Deuteronomy, the text tells us that Moses died at the age of 120 years of age. Moses is dead. Joshua now assumes the mantle of leadership. And so Joshua would be the one to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. So General Joshua 
takes the lead, takes the helm, and leads God's people west into the promised land. And so in chapter 1, we have the commissioning of Joshua. Moses, the servant of God, is now dead. And so Joshua has to assume a tremendous responsibility to lead the children into the promised land. Now you remember, 40 years earlier, God had sent out 12 spies to survey the land of Canaan. When those spies came back, 10 gave an unfavorable report. Two, however, said we are well able to take the land. You remember who those two were? Joshua and Caleb. Well, 40 years have transpired. And now it's time for the children of Israel to go into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and to take possession of this promised land. And so Joshua, the children of Israel, they're on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And the Bible tells us that Joshua commissions two spies to go out and to survey the city of Jericho. Now, they were in, well, look at chapter 2, for example, in verse 1. The Bible says that he sent men from Acacia Grove, or from Shittim. Shittim was located about 10 to 12 miles east of the Jordan River. And then from the Jordan River to Jericho, about another five miles. The Jordan River, if you remember geographically, ran north to south. It began up around the Sea of Galilee and ran south down to the Dead Sea, about 60 miles, some 15 miles in width. In chapter 3, we have a record of the children of Israel crossing the Jordan River. But nonetheless, Jer uh, Joshua commissions these spies to go out and to survey the land. Back in the book of Numbers in chapter 13, God is the one that instructed the 12 spies to go out and survey the land. And I would assume that General Joshua, that God had given him authority in the realm of expediency. And so he wanted to make sure that the land was ready for capturing. And so he sent them out to survey the land and also to confirm the great promise of Almighty God that that land would be theirs. So note, if you would, the text beginning in verse 1. He said, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab. Now, there have been some commentators who have tried to say that she was just an innkeeper. But that's not what the text says. Matter of fact, the Hebrew writer, as well as James, both identify her as a harlot. In chapter 6, verse 23, these men are spoken of as young men. And so they have the responsibility of going out and surveying the city of Jericho. Jericho was located about 16, 17 miles northeast of the city of Jerusalem. And so they come to the house of a name, rather they come to the house of a woman named Rahab. I don't think that there was anything, well, I don't think that there were any improprieties in their going to the house of Rahab. It might have been the case that they chose to go to her house because 
it would have not raised as much attention. But nonetheless, the text tells us that the king heard about they're going to Rahab's home. And so he said, Behold, men, or rather it was told to him, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. And then the Bible says in verse 4 that the woman took the two men, hid them, and said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. It happened as, rather it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark, that the men went out. When the, where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But look at verse 6. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. The men, of, the men rather pursued them by the road to the Jordan, to the forts. As soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Let me pause here very quickly. These events are rather dramatic, aren't they? Rahab came from a pagan background. She was a harlot by trade, as I mentioned a moment ago. Some have questioned how this woman could be included in Hebrews chapter 11, James chapter 2. How could she have been a person of faith and commended by God, and yet in this context, she lied about the spies? You've got to remember something about her background. This woman had what we might call a very bad background, an ungodly background. And so the fact that she lied about the spies, I don't think that that in any way diminishes the faith, what little faith or the amount of faith that is spoken of in Joshua chapter 2. So with that in mind, I want you to note some principles here that I think stand out, really leap out off the page. The first principle has to do with her faith. And When I read Joshua chapter 2, I'm not sure that you will read a better definition of how faith comes about. So with that in mind, look at what is recorded for us in verse 9. Here's what Rahab said to the spies, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Now look at verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, listen to this, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. How did she come to that conclusion? Again, she's from a pagan background. She didn't have the knowledge of God 
that Joshua and the other children of Israel possessed, but she had heard something about the God of heaven. And I would take it to mean that she came to understand something about the supremacy of the God of heaven. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that the spies were sent to survey the land and that they went to survey out the land and also to reaffirm the promises that were made by Almighty God concerning this land. So go back with me for a moment and look at a couple of passages. First, go back and look at Exodus in chapter 15, following the children of Israel's deliverance from Egyptian bondage. And note, if you would, what is said in verse 14 and following. God said, the people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Palestine. The chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall upon them by the greatness of your arm. They will be as still as a stone. Till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. And then look over in chapter 23. Note over in chapter 23, in verse 27. Again, Moses writes, on behalf of God, I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among the people to whom you come and will make all their enemies turn their backs to you. And then look at the book of Deuteronomy chapter 11. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 11. In chapter 11, verse 25, again, Moses writes concerning the land that they are to inherit. He said, No man shall be able to stand against you, the Lord your God will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon all the land where you tread, just as He said to you. So Rahab is simply reaffirming something that God had said to the children of Israel, that they would indeed take the land, that God had given them this land, and God's going to hold true to His promise. And so look again at chapter 2. In chapter 2, we think about the faith of Rahab. But there's a second principle at work here that I think is very important, and that is the favor of Rahab. And by that, I would allude to the grace that she enjoyed from Almighty God. Now, you remember, turn, for example, over into chapter 6 for a moment. I want you to see something regarding Jericho. You remember when God said concerning the city, look at verse 1. Jericho was, was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. So God said, I have given you Jericho, I've given you the land, its king and all the mighty men of valor. Well, Rahab is going to be a part of God's blessings 
on the children of Israel. In other words, she's going to be a recipient of the grace that had been extended to them. And so listen to what she says in verse 12. In light of what she had heard and the great faith that she manifested. In verse 12 she said, Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. In verse 14, the spy said to her, Our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. That is divine favor, isn't it? And then verse 15, note the instructions. In verse 15 and following, the text says that she let them down by a rope through the window. For her house was on the city wall, she dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterwards, you may go your way. Then the men said to her, We will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land you bind this line of scarlet cord, that is a red cord, in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brother, and all your father's household to your own home, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. Whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid upon him. So now, very specific instructions given to Rahab and her family concerning, concerning the taking of Jericho. If they wanted to live, if they wanted to be spared, they had to comply with those instructions, didn't they? So now, let's put it together for a minute. What do you have here? You've got faith. She demonstrates tremendous faith in Almighty God. You have divine favor, or what we might call grace. God has said He's given the children of Israel the land of Jericho. She doesn't want to perish with the other people in the land. She wants to be saved, to be spared. And so she begs the spies to spare her and her family. In light of that, divine instructions are given. Now one of the principles that we've talked about in days gone by, and I think it's an important principle, wherever God's grace goes, it is always, and I would underscore that, it is always accompanied by teaching or instruction. Go all the way back. To Genesis chapter 6, when God told Noah that He was going to destroy the world by means of a flood, divine instructions were given. And the Bible says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In Numbers chapter 21, when the children of Israel were being bitten by serpents, they cried out to Moses for God to spare them. God demonstrated grace toward them and then gave very specific instructions how that if they were bitten by those serpents, they might live. And so you have faith, grace, and divine instruction. But then add to that another word, obedience. Did Rahab have to comply with the instructions given by the spies in order to save herself and her family? Yes or no? The answer would be yes. 
All right? I want you to think about something. Look now at the continuation of the text, and then I want to look at a couple of passages in the New Testament. In verse 20, the spy said, If you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath which you made us swear. Then she said, According to your word, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Now let me ask this question. Did it matter what house Rahab and her family were in when Jericho was overtaken? Did it matter? They had to be in the right house, didn't they? They had to comply with the will of Almighty God or with the instructions given. If they were to be spared, now does it matter? What body, what church we're in today, if we're going to be saved, does it matter? Does it matter whether or not we comply with the will of Almighty God when it comes to God's grace, mercy? If we're to demonstrate faith and obedience, do we have to be obedient or not? Yes. We have to demonstrate the same kind of faith. Now, look, if you would, in Hebrews chapter 11. I don't think it's accidental that in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer there speaks of the faith of this lady. Look at verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled seven days. Now, again, in chapter 6 of the book of Joshua, you have these same principles set forth with regard to the taking of Jericho. God's grace, you've got divine instruction. They were to encircle the city seven times on the seventh day. If they followed the prescribed manner, then the city would be theirs. So you had God's grace, God's instructions, and then you had faith and obedience, didn't you, in order for them to take the city. Now look at verse, note if you would, verse 31. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe, when she had received the spies with peace. So now the writer here commends her for her faith. But look at what James says. Look at James chapter 2. In James, the second chapter, James is talking about the importance of not just faith, but faith coupled with works. So look at verse 25. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. So here you have two writers in the New Testament. One commends her for her faith, the other commends her for her works. So you have faith and works working together, don't you? In other words, you have faith and works demonstrated, and as a result of that, she enjoys the tremendous blessings of being saved along with her family members. Now, I think if you look at Joshua chapter 2, there's another thought I want to just share with you very quickly. When we talk about being people of faith, I understand that individually we all have to stand on our own faith, don't we? It is an individual thing. You remember what the Hebrew writer said? Without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to Him. But 
genuine faith is always concerned about other people. That is, if we're people of faith, we're concerned about others. Rahab was not only concerned about her own life and the sparing of her life, but she thought about her family members. Now, what about us today? You know, Rahab in many ways was symbolic of the people who dwelt in the land of Canaan. They were people of pagan background. They were idolatrous. They were immoral. And yet, this lady had heard some things. She knew what God had done, and because of that, she became a person of faith. And she acted upon that faith, and she wanted the God of heaven. She wanted to be a part of the blessings of the God of heaven, and she was commended for that. But as I said a minute ago, not only was she concerned about herself, she was concerned about her family members. If we are genuine people of faith, we're going to be concerned about those about us. It's going to begin with our own family members, won't it? You know, one of the things I think that is so remarkable about Abraham, God spoke favorably about Abraham and his leadership. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Turn back to the book of Genesis and look at chapter 18 for a minute. In Genesis chapter 18, remember, God is going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham, in this context, pleads with God to spare the cities. And so look, if you would, at what is said down in verse 17. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now, Rahab is a Gentile, isn't she? So in Joshua chapter 2, you have something that is recorded for us that says God was concerned not just about the nation of Israel, that is the seed of Abraham, but also He was concerned about Gentile people. And that promise made back in Genesis chapter 12 at verse 3 was not exclusive only to the children of Israel, was it? but rather it encompassed the Gentile people because God said, in you shall all nations, all families of the earth be blessed. And then you remember later in time when Isaiah talked about the church and the establishment of the church and how it would be an exalted mountain into which all nations would fall, or rather enter, flow. And so the idea is God was concerned about both. But now look, if you would, verse 19. Here's what God said about Abraham. For I have known him, in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. God had a lot of confidence in Abraham, didn't he? Those of us who are fathers, husbands, we have the responsibility of being spiritual leaders in the home, don't we? And we have to try to the best of our ability to point our family in the direction of heaven. Rahab was concerned about her family members. Matter of fact, so much so that she made sure that they enjoyed the blessings of Almighty God. Now, if we want our children, our family members to be in heaven, we're going to have to be people of faith, aren't we? And not just people of faith, but we're going to have to be people of faithfulness. 
want you to think about something over the next few days. I want you to ask yourself this question. And we're going to talk about it, Lord willing, next week. But ask yourself when it comes to the faith, that is, the faith, once for all delivered, and the faith that you possess, that is your individual faith. Are you all in when it comes to living the Christian life? Think about that. Are you all in when it comes to living the Christian life? Either you are or you're not. Either you're all in or you're not. But think about that. And so over the next few days, reflect, reflect on your own faith. Where are you? Where do you want to be? If your faith is not what it ought to be, what are you going to do? What steps are you going to take to get where you need to be? Now look at chapter 6 in the book of Joshua. In chapter 6, well, our time's gone. Look very quickly at chapter 6. And note, if you would, the fortune of Rahab. Now, the text tells us that the children of Israel complied with the instructions concerning the taking of Jericho. And down in verse 20, the Bible says, The people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. It happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. The people shouted with a great shout. The wall fell down flat. The people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all she has, as you swore to them. Now listen. That says something about God and His promises, doesn't it? When God makes a promise to His people, does He keep it? Yes. So when God says, I will do such and such, can we believe in the promises of Almighty God? God said, I'm going to give you the land. Did He give them the land? When Rahab asked the spies to spare her children, or rather her family members, and she complied with their instructions, did she enjoy the promises that had been extended to the children of Israel? Again, the answer would be yes. And so the Bible says, look at verse 23. The young men who had been spies went in, brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Look at verse 25. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. And she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So, when we talk about the promises of God, and I mean all the promises that we as children of God enjoy, and that would begin with pardon from sin, and peace with God, the privilege of prayer, the promise of heaven, do we have the right, the God-given right, to lay hold to those promises? Are we, are we outstepping or overstepping our boundaries if we simply lay claim to the promises that God has made? If God said, if you do this, you'll be saved. 
And if you live this way, you'll go to heaven. If I affirm that I have done what God said, I'm living in compliance with His will, am I overstepping my boundaries if I say, I know there's a home waiting for me in heaven? I don't think I'm overstepping my boundaries. I think God wants us to lay claim to His promises. Rahab was a great example of faith. And not just faith, but faith and works. Justified by works. A person of great faith. Interestingly, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, you remember Matthew provides us with a detailed account of the seed line of the Christ through the lineage of David. In verse 5, Rahab is mentioned as being a part of the seed line of Christ. Now think about that for a minute. Rahab was a Gentile. And what does that say about God and His feelings toward those people? He was concerned about them, wasn't He? So much so that He instructed Jonah in the long ago to go to Nineveh, to preach to those people. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you've never demonstrated an obedient faith, could we encourage you to come to Christ to put your faith and trust in Him to obey the gospel of Christ. Listen to what Jesus said. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. That's either true or false, isn't it? Well, I believe it to be true. And I believe that if Jesus said that if you put your faith in Him and you repent of your sins and you're baptized into Christ, then you'll be saved. Do you believe that? If you'll do what the Lord said, I promise you this, He'll own and crown you one day in heaven. That's a promise that the Lord made. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, be faithful unto death, the promise being the crown of life. If you're here tonight, you're not faithful to His cause. You want to be back in fellowship with God. Again, John said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all, A-L-L, all unrighteousness. Tonight, we'd be happy to pray with you and for you as we stand and sing.